Welcome to the Autism Empowerment Podcast, your source for acceptance, enrichment, inspiration, and empowerment in autistic and autism communities worldwide. Wherever you identify in your autism or autistic journey, Autism Empowerment is here to meet you along the way. We are an autistic-led podcast, 501c3 nonprofit charity, and publisher of Spectrum Life magazine. In today's episode, we'll be starting a three-part series on Autism Diagnosis Disclosure. Topics in this series include disclosure of the diagnosis from parents to their children, from parents to family teachers and professional providers, from youth to their peers, and from autistic adults to others. In part one, which will be today's show, we are sharing and discussing disclosing an autism diagnosis to a child, why it's important, and when, how, and what to disclose. And we're back on the air for episode 10. Hi there, Karen. Hey, John. How is my favorite co-host today? I'm doing pretty well and pretty amazed that we're already on episode number 10. Congratulations. That's pretty exciting. Congratulations to you, to Autism Empowerment, and thank you, John, for all the hard work and positive effort you're putting into making this program awesome. Oh, I've had a blast doing this with you. It's just a blessing being here. Wonderful. Of course, we need to thank our listeners, too, because this show is for you. Absolutely. Whether you're here with us for the first time or you just can't get enough of our content and our quirky humor, thank you so much for joining us. My name is Karen Krejcia, and I'm the executive director and co-founder of Autism Empowerment and one of your hosts for today's podcast. I'm here with my husband, John Krejcia, who is our program's director and other co-founder. For more information after the show about our podcast, the nonprofit organization, and what we do, please visit www.autismempowermentpodcast.org. As John mentioned, today we're on episode number 10, and we're starting a series on autism diagnosis disclosure. Today's focus is primarily on parents disclosing an autism diagnosis to their children. We'll be talking about why it's important for a child to have information to better understand themselves, We'll cover common disclosure fears. We'll cover what might happen if a child is not told. And we'll give suggestions on when to tell, how to tell, and what comes next. For now, I'm going to turn this over to John to take on the primary duties of asking questions and helping monitor our time together. I will be happy to monitor the time today. I have two questions. Why are we doing this series? And why are we starting with disclosing an autism diagnosis to a child? Well, John, we're currently on episode number 10. When we were deciding to bring back the Autism Empowerment Podcast, we made a commitment that in our first few months of shows, we wanted to include topics that are timeless and that regularly occur within autism and autistic communities. There's a lot to cover, and there's so much that we'll be able to talk about down the road. We'll be doing more specialized shows and series and interviews with people outside of Autism Empowerment. But this Disclosing a diagnosis is a really important topic because the issue of disclosure is one of those topics that everybody with an autism diagnosis is going to face at some point, and oftentimes at many points. Who do I tell? What do I tell? When? Why? How much? Since understanding a diagnosis can be so empowering but also overwhelming, we wanted our first show in this series to focus on disclosing an autism diagnosis to a child. When we talk about this today, we're primarily speaking to parents out there from a parent perspective to a parent perspective, but it does depend on a child's living situation. The first person that may disclose an autism diagnosis to a child could in some cases be a grandparent or another caregiver, perhaps even with the help of a professional. 
We'll be going into disclosure for adults from both a self-advocacy perspective as well as disclosure from parents to others in other shows in this series. What I'd like to do, though, is break this down into sections so it's more manageable. We'll be including notes about this in our show notes at our website after the show is over, as well as a transcript. That sounds like a great idea to me. So why tell your child? Well, John, I think it's pretty accurate to say that parents go through a wide range of emotions when they're first given their child's autism diagnosis. That can be an understatement. We're parents to two children on the spectrum, and even though that happened way back in 2008, I have vivid memories of that time. As do I. Mm -hmm. One thing that was really important to us afterwards was getting a lot of information and seeking support. So just as it's important for parents out there to have information and understanding and support of their child's diagnosis, this is also important for your child to have as well. All children should have the opportunity to feel understood, accepted, and respected. Children with an autism diagnosis should have the chance to understand, accept, and appreciate their uniqueness by being given information about their diagnosis. Many people who've experienced challenges and adversity in their lives have learned who they are and accepted and used that information to help themselves achieve goals and better their life. Giving your child information on the nature of their differences gives them a better understanding and the motivation that is needed oftentimes to drive through challenges. It also gives them a better sense of belonging as they learn that there are many children out there with similar experiences. It's important that we want to try to empower our children versus stigmatize. Stigmatize can be almost fearful. I think the next section that we're going to cover are some of the fears, correct? Yes. And to your point, stigma does exist. There's a lot of people out there that are afraid of people who have different types of disabilities. It's okay if you're out there and you're thinking, I'm kind of nervous about sharing this with my child. I don't know how to do it. I'm feeling mixed emotions about it. We want to tell you that's okay. You're not alone there. Stigma still exists. And when your child was diagnosed, they were diagnosed with criteria that's from a deficit model. What is something that's different than norm? And so parents are oftentimes afraid that if they tell their child that they're autistic or they're on the autism spectrum, that will be a quote unquote label that might help the child feel like they're broken. They're not broken. As their parent, you want to help minimize any stigma by being the best supporter, the best parent that you possibly can. Sometimes when parents go through this process, they recognize that they may have some internal biases against disability. They may be even afraid to say those words because it seems uncomfortable. They're not maybe used to being around people with disabilities. They may have never met somebody who was autistic. Well, they may not have ever met somebody that they knew was autistic. Conversely, there may be autism that runs in their family. Oftentimes, autism is genetic. And if they tell their child that their child's autistic or on the spectrum, maybe that means that there needs to be a disclosure or a discovery with a parent or a grandparent or another adult in the family. So these are all very valid concerns and things to think about. Parents also might be worried that their child might not understand, either from an age or developmental maturity perspective. They can be fearful that their child might lose options in life due to the disability and not dream big. 
They're afraid that their child might become depressed or anxious or angry that they have a disability. They may be afraid that their child will use their disability or their autism label as an excuse on why they can't do something. They might think that their child will think of themselves as a failure with no hope for a positive future. There may be some real fears inside that they're not ready to admit out loud to themselves or to their spouse, and that may prevent them from wanting to project that onto their child. They may not even realize that they're going through what's called the autism grief cycle, and it might be so internal to them. I could see how these fears are very valid. What are some of the realities? Well, these issues that I mentioned, and others as well, they may or may not surface whether or not the child is told of their diagnosis. Because you see, kids are very perceptive oftentimes and pick up on the fact that they're different. Autistic people often have a sense for others who are on the spectrum too. Some of these fears that they're afraid of sharing with their children are things that may in reality turn up to be bigger problems if the kids don't know why it is that they are the way they are. Another reality is that it may be possible that you could be projecting your fears upon your child and that it would really be okay to have these fears, but just address them if they come up if needed. You might want to ask yourself, if you were in a similar situation, would you want to have the information needed to be able to make positive choices about your life? Shouldn't your child have that opportunity since the diagnosis is going to affect various aspects of their life forever? Children should be given some information before they hear about it from someone else or overhear or see information that they sense is about them. A child may believe that other people don't like them or that they're always in trouble or that they're somehow broken if they have no information to know why certain things are challenging for them. Waiting until a negative experience happens and then sharing the information, that's not the best option. So if you have an opportunity to be able to share things in a positive, proactive way, then when challenges do occur, you'll be able to address them. And you'll be empowered to overcome those issues as well. An autism journey is not easy. There's going to be challenges throughout one's life. But whether you're on the spectrum or not, you're always going to have challenges. No one promises us a life without adversity. The more tools that we can have in our toolbox to be able to help us deal with whatever that adversity is, the better we will be able to cope and understand things. So that begs the question, what if they're not told? I know it's a what if, but there's still a lot of potential information to explore. Let me answer this a couple different ways. First, I'm going to answer it from the lens of an adult who wasn't diagnosed until after her children were diagnosed. That was me. I would have loved to have had information when I was a kid to help me understand why I was different than my peers. I picked up on that in elementary school. I knew there were differences that I was experiencing. I couldn't figure out why. That kind of information is really valuable for a child's self-esteem and to be able to work through challenges and issues. I bet also as a young adult, you would have maybe made different choices. I would have definitely made different choices. That is absolutely true. Coping mechanisms that I chose when I was younger were not as healthy as they might have been. 
I'm not blaming anybody. That was part of my life story. I made the choices that I made based on the information that I had. However, it would have been so much easier for me to have had other pathways open to me that would have led to more positive outcomes. Well, just simple things like being able to understand that you needed recovery time for different situations and potentially not having that evolve into something greater or bigger down the road. Right. Understanding your different social situations that you might get into. Mm -hmm. That's a really good point. So let me go back. What if they're not told? Well, why are you choosing not to tell them? You might want to really think about that because as a child, if I see that there's something different about me and then I find out later and my parents didn't tell me why, I'd wonder if they were ashamed of me. I'd wonder why they didn't trust me enough to tell me. I might also have trust issues with them because I would have expected them to take care of me. If children aren't told, then they're going to have to make up some other explanation in their head for what might be causing what's going on. They're not accessing the supports and tools that can help them do better in those situations. Feeling different and not knowing why, that can result in ridicule and isolation. It means that they might feel like a disappointment and a failure to their families and others. It might feel like they were never enough. That can also mean if they're not told that they have low self-esteem and self-acceptance problems. That's interesting because I have dyslexia and I was never officially diagnosed with dyslexia and I was undiagnosed going through school and I was held back in first grade. I didn't know why I was held back. I just knew I was different. It was really difficult for me mentally until I realized I had a learning reading challenge And so it was really hard. So I would imagine if you're not told about, which I wasn't, I knew I had a lot of self-esteem issues and I could see how that could be very similar to those on the autism spectrum as well, not being able to get the support that they needed. You know, John, that is a, a good point that you bring up because you and I grew up around the same time. We're both in our early 50s. And I remember children that were in school that were held back oftentimes because they had struggles reading or they were held back for being behind in certain areas. Kids noticed that about other kids. There was no curriculum that talked with us about what are children's differences and those types of things. Nowadays, there's more inclusion practiced in classrooms. It could be better, but there's more acceptance of differences. However, kids are still pulled out for different things, speech, OT, PT, So if the child doesn't know that they have some type of difference, that's actually going to get around as well. There's no shame in having your child pulled out for supports and accommodations. But if they don't know why and they see that they're being pulled out, but their classmates aren't, it may be very confusing. Some kids, if you don't tell them and they're involved in special education, that's going to be very confusing. They're going to wonder why they're in a certain classroom and a class might and a neighbor down the street or somebody they ride the bus with is in a different type of classroom. It takes away their power in a lot of cases and their ability to be more independent in making choices. It slows down that process of self-determination. One thing that was really powerful for our children was being able to participate in their own individualized education program meetings, their IEP meetings in school. 
Now, if you don't tell your child that they're on this spectrum, it makes it really difficult for them to participate in that type of meeting. You're taking away their voice. Yeah, you're not giving them an opportunity to actively participate in their own education. They're the ones who have to be in school all day. As much as you know your child and as much as you're an advocate for your child, you're not there with your child as they're in that school setting. There's going to be so much more that they know about that situation than will ever be disclosed to you. Having children involved in special education but not knowing about their diagnosis can lead to a lot of different problems. That could also lead to a lot of um, breakdown in trust as well, I would think, between the parent and the child. Well, it leads to some awkward conversations, too, because you don't want to have somebody else accidentally out your child. But if they're in a special education setting, sometimes that might happen. It might happen from a classmate. It might happen from somebody who is working within that environment not intentionally, but, you know, people pick up on things, people overhear conversations. Your child may know that they're different and that's okay. But if they aren't being told why, they may come to the wrong conclusion about their perceived differences. In fact, a lot of our children that are on the spectrum, especially early on when there may be more early intervention treatments in their earlier years of life, they may be seeing a lot of occupational therapists, or they might be having speech or other types of therapy. They may be seeing different doctors for different types of treatments, but they're not told why. They might be wondering why they have to spend so much time out of school going to these different appointments, but a sister or brother doesn't. They may even wonder if they have some sort of an illness or if they're going to be sick. Maybe they're going to die. You don't want them to be afraid of these types of things. Even a child who may not ask or verbally express concern or they may not yet be in a way to communicate that they can do so verbally, that doesn't mean they may not be thinking those thoughts. A lot of children on the spectrum that are nonverbal still listen to and process the information and they're still going to have their concerns as well. One final thing I want to say in this particular section is that whether or not you choose to tell your child, they're still autistic. They're still on the spectrum. So they're still going to have the challenges that go along with that. And things like meltdowns and shutdowns and certain behavioral issues and social communication challenges, these things are still going to occur without extra information to be able to help support them during that time it may contribute to their meltdowns being worse. It may contribute to an embarrassing situation at school. We don't want our children to have the disclosure to them during a time of turmoil. We want it to be coming from a place of empowerment. Thank you for that, Karen. So what are some of the signs that your child might be ready to process the information that they're on the spectrum? Okay, so this is going to be different for every child, different for every family. However, if your child already has another learning-related or medical diagnosis, such as ADHD or a learning disability like dyslexia, something already where a diagnosis has been disclosed to them, it makes sense to tell them about autism as well because they've already gone through a process where they're aware of something and how it might affect them. Some children are going to start to ask you questions. They may ask you, what's wrong with me? Why can't I be like everybody else? 
Or they may think that they don't belong. Right. Why do I feel so different than everybody else? Why can't I do anything right? These questions are heartbreaking. Whether you tell your child or not, you're probably going to hear them at some point in time because every child struggles with something. But if they're asking you these questions where they're not having an answer that gives them information about themselves, those are signs that a child might be ready to process information about their diagnosis or at least about some of their differences and how they can be supported. Those types of questions are a clear indication that they need information. Some of the children out there, though, may not ask the questions. They may have similar thoughts, but not be able to express them as well. So if you see your child starting to act more anxious, sad, you see more behavioral concerns, you can prompt some types of questions as well. If they're school age and are going to be receiving special education services, it's also a good time to try to explain to them what kind of supports they're going to be receiving in school and why that might be the case. I know a lot of adults and kids really like to have predictability, schedules. So if they know what's coming, they're more apt to be able to adapt. Wouldn't you agree? I would absolutely agree. In this past year with COVID, the pandemic, kids have had to be more resilient and more adaptive than ever. No one expected that to happen. But we have seen in many cases that with information, children are able to move forward. And sure, it's natural for people to regress in behaviors. It's natural to feel angry and upset. It's natural to feel disappointed and hurt. But when we are able to acknowledge these feelings and talk about them, then we can address them and find ways to be able to move forward. So a parent has come to a point to tell their child. Let's talk about the next steps, the process of when to tell. On when to tell? Yes. I want to tell parents out there, thank you so much for listening to this. The fact that you're willing to listen to a podcast about disclosing an autism diagnosis to a child means that to me, (laughs) and this could be completely wrong, but it means that you're open to the idea of wanting your child to have more information, to be empowered, to do better, to be the best kid they can be. And that's great because it's a scary process to be able to tell your child this, but the fact that you're considering doing it is a really awesome thing. When to tell. Wow. Now, first, I want to say that if you wait until what you think is the perfect moment to tell, you may not ever tell. Although it's really good to try to work through some of your fears and your challenges first so that you're projecting a positive image, You may not be able to work through everything because this is an ongoing process. We're all lifelong learners. We're all feeling what we feel and life is messy. Working through fears and challenges before talking to your child, though, can be a good process. There's a few different groups of people that you might want to consider getting support from before you share with your child. One might be a psychologist or a counselor. Just being able to get those feelings out, particularly in families where disability culturally is really looked down upon. There may be some issues that need to be worked through before talking about the diagnosis can happen. It's going to be different for every family. 
sometimes talking to other parents who have children with disabilities, whether it be autism or even another type of invisible disability can be useful. Certainly talking to autistic adults or listening to autistic adults can be very powerful because they're going to be able to share with you from an older point of view on what it's like to be autistic and what they might want a person to know. There are a lot of support groups online, and we actually talk a lot about support in some of our earlier shows, and you can plug into some of those in advance if you would like. Working through those fears and challenges is a lifelong process. I'm autistic, and I'm the mom of a teen and adult on the spectrum, and there are still challenges that we go through in every stage of life. As far as other concerns about when to tell, there's no exact age or time that is correct to tell your child about their diagnosis. If you're concerned about developmental ability, some children are diagnosed as young as 18 months, as young as two. Obviously, in those ages, we're talking more about differences than deficits, and we're not talking in jargony terms. In fact, it's better to not talk in jargony terms even when you're talking to adults about this. A child at seven or eight, they may be able to understand the diagnosis, someone who's school-aged, but that doesn't mean that they will need lots and lots of information. Some 16-year-olds are also going to find it too abstract. The age is not so much the factor. Look for readiness. And I wish I could give you a better answer on that. But a child's personality, their abilities, their social awareness, those are all factors to consider in determining whether your child's ready for information about their diagnosis. A lot of children that are not autistic tend to be more socially aware sooner than autistic children. It tends to be also that girls are oftentimes more socially aware than boys are. Now, this is not a steadfast rule, but it's something to be able to think about with your own particular situation. But once a child does become socially aware, if they don't know by then, it may become very difficult and embarrassing, and there may be all sorts of other things that have come up or happened by that time. If older, when they're told, they may be extremely sensitive and embarrassed and even aggressive to any suggestion that they might be different. That's when those broken thoughts may really come in. They're already starting to feel some self-doubts or perhaps some dislike or hatred because they're not able to do certain types of things, if they perceive it as you're telling them something's wrong with them and broken, it's going to be difficult. Now, that may still happen, and it's something you'll have to deal with. That's why thinking about these things in advance and how you want to approach them is going to help you when it comes time to do this. You also want to be careful in terms of when to tell because there's a chance, particularly if they're in a special education classroom, that someone may accidentally out them first. It could be on purpose. It could be accidental. It could be a sibling. It could be a family member who doesn't realize that they don't know. It could be a doctor or a therapist It could be a poster on the wall in the classroom where they're receiving services that talk about it being a disability-related classroom. 
You don't want it to come from somebody other than you. You want to be able to have the choice rather than them finding out from another source when you're not there to be able to provide that support to them. Now, this being said, sometimes people do not get an autism diagnosis until they're in their teens or older, which can be a very sensitive age. Oftentimes, those might be children that are diagnosed later that have already had some sort of bad experiences that can influence the decision on when and how to share information with them about their diagnosis. This may be a child who may have been diagnosed with ADHD first because there's a lot of overlap in terms of organizational issues and attention types of issues. They may have had a diagnosis of sensory processing disorder, sensory challenges, or it may have been anxiety or some sort of mental health challenge. If autism is the last thing to the table, it may be to them, oh, there's just one more reason why there's something wrong with me. And you need to be mindful of that. When you approach it, approach that from that place of grace and thinking about their self-esteem as well. That's interesting because in the Autism Empowerment Adult Support Group that we have, over time, when I get to meet a lot of the people, a lot of times autism was one of the last diagnoses that it received. Usually it was ADHD or, like you said, sensory processing disorder, OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder. There's a lot of other types of things that they were first diagnosed with or they were diagnosed with depression or something like that. So it's interesting you talked about that. Thank you, John. Yes, again, our adults that are on the spectrum that are diagnosed later in life, they had to figure out coping mechanisms. It didn't mean that they weren't autistic before. It just meant that they never had information about that and what to do with that and potential supports to help with certain types of things. So if they were having social communication challenges, they were likely very anxious being around other people. If they were having challenges with repetitive behavior, like wanting to wear the same jacket every day, or why are they on loop with the same thoughts every day, that could have led to a lot of challenges in school. It leads to a lot of dropouts or challenges with organization. There's a lot of adults that come into this later in life that have a lot of baggage that they're carrying along with them. Sometimes these are the parents that are actually finding out that their children are diagnosed. And so it's okay if you're learning about your own diagnosis after you learn about your children's, that's okay. Welcome to our community. We are here to support you. There may be a lot of grief and pain and struggle and challenge that you're going through, but having the information to help you better understand yourself and allow you to make more informed choices going forward is a good thing. Information is power. So that actually leads into my next question perfectly. What is the kind of information that you want to share and what is important on how you tell the information? The what and how. The what and how to tell. As you begin, it can be really hard to decide what and how much information to share. But remember this. A positive attitude about differences can be established if you start as early as possible and before the diagnosis is mentioned by others. Your positive attitude and the manner in which you share the information with your child is very important. Your child looks up to you. You're a role model for them. They want your love. They want to know that you care and that you accept them and that you respect them and that you embrace them. So whatever it is that you share, it's not so much the words, 
it's not so much how much. It's a sense of, I love you. I'm giving you some information and I'm going to be there for you. Everybody with a diagnosis is unique. There's no one size fits all. Once you've been around this autism community world for a long enough time, you'll hear a statement get repeated again and again. And that's if you've met one person with autism, you've met one person with autism. First said by Dr. Stephen Shore, who's on the spectrum himself. Different derivations include if you've met one autistic person, you've met one autistic person. The whole thing means that even though there are similarities between people among the spectrum, there's also differences. We are the sum of all of the experiences that we've had in life up to this point, as well as the plan that's laid out for our lives. So there's no one-size-fits-all solution. There's no one-size-fits-all person. Whether you're on the spectrum or not, you have your own unique abilities, strengths, and challenges. So explaining should be individualized and meaningful to them. No cookie cutter. I'm not going to give you an exact formula to disclose because I don't know your child. But what I can tell you is do it positively and do it with love. Do it from safety and grace and be there. If your child has questions, that gives you a place to start. You want to understand first what they're asking and why so that you can best respond to their questions. A lot of times setting a positive tone about each of your family members' uniqueness is a really wonderful starting place. That's better than using euphemisms or trying to pussyfoot around the word autism. Autism is not a bad word. Autistic is not a bad word. Now you're going to be into this journey where you're going to hear Lots of euphemisms for autism and disabilities. You're going to hear special needs. You're going to hear differently abled. The vast majority mean well. They really do mean well. But no person wants to feel that icky euphemism like they're being marginalized. Marginalized. They don't want to feel like I'm special. Let's be real here. If you're not comfortable with the word being used to describe you, why would you want to use that word to describe your child? Now, that being said, a lot of people may not be comfortable with identity first language, and that is something for another show. But autism's not bad. Autistic isn't bad, okay? Soapbox over. <laughs> Sorry about that. I am making an assumption that you listening to this show have great intentions. So let's move forward. When you discuss differences, if you disclose them, especially with people that are younger, actually, this is good with starting out with anybody. But if you can discuss them in a matter of fact manner, as soon as your child understands simple, concrete examples of differences, that's going to be a really good approach. Let me explain that. So what I'm saying for matter of fact statements for accommodations might be if I was telling my child, mommy has glasses and daddy does not have glasses. Mommy needs her glasses to be able to see better. You want to say this if it's true. It's an example that your child can see where, oh, mom wears glasses to help her see. Daddy doesn't need glasses. That's okay. Or mommy is five foot three and daddy is six foot two. Mommy sometimes needs a step stool to reach things. Daddy sometimes has to duck down so he won't hit his head examples of concrete things that they can see and understand 
and accommodations that can be used sometimes to be able to make it easier to do something. And neither is bad. Neither is bad. It just is. is. Other matter-of-fact statements for differences or preferences could be something like, Judy has blonde hair and you have red hair. Or, your sister likes to read mystery books and you like to read books about animals. Or, your brother likes vanilla ice cream and you like chocolate ice cream. I like all ice cream. <laughs> I like all ice cream, <laughs> Sorry. <too. laughs> Me like cookies. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, my goodness. Anyway, the ongoing use of positive, concrete examples of contrasts among familiar people to the child, their family members or close family friends, that can make it easier to be relatable. I hope that makes sense. Do you have any other relatable examples to explain their neurological challenges or differences? Yes. In addition to those matter-of-fact types of examples, it's also helpful to use analogies or metaphors to try to explain some of the medical jargon or tricky concepts. Oh my gosh, there's a lot of medical (laughs) jargon out there. I certainly wish that more people would do this in their meetings and PowerPoint presentations because not all of us need to be impressed with your high-level education. We just need to understand something in clear, plain language. But I can be guilty of using my vocabulary too without intention realizing that someone might not understand what I'm saying. So let me try to break it down here. Can I give you an example, maybe? You may give me an example. So when people say executive functioning, how would you do that? So yes, folks on the spectrum and folks with ADHD, we have trouble with executive functioning. But what does that mean? What does it mean? (laughs) I know, I think of a CEO coming in and trying to function, right? So it basically means organization of the mind. So imagine... Why don't they just say organization? They went through a lot of education to learn that (laughs) word. Come on. No, anyway. So imagine it as a huge pile of school assignments... If you're telling a child they have problems with their organization, you can say, we need to find you some support. So it would be like you having all of your different school assignments on the table, but they need to be organized by folders to organize by class. You need help organizing things. Quite frankly, these are common things that are going to happen. Our kids have challenges finding assignments, turning in assignments, finding things in their backpacks. Or not finding things in their backpacks. Or not finding things. So the next one I have is rigid and repetitive thinking. Yes. So again, those are diagnostic types of things. And if you're going to explain this to a kid, their thinking sometimes gets stuck and you just want to help them get unstuck. You can think of stuck like gum. You could think of getting stuck in the mud. You could think of playing your favorite song on repeat or loop. Now, parents out there, if you haven't experienced this already, lots of kids on the spectrum like to play their favorite songs or their favorite movies on loop repetitively. So this might be an example that you can use with them about their favorite song sometimes needing to stop so that we can move on to something different. People will have that thinking in their head oftentimes, and they just need help to stop that song and move on to something different. It can be part of a schedule. So next is sensory or emotional dysregulation. Our children are going to have challenges with big feelings. 
or little feelings or no feelings, or they're going to be sensory overloaded, or they're going to be craving stimulation. So how do you explain to them these types of things? Well, if you have the book Goldilocks and the Three Bears, you might remember that Goldilocks tried different porridge. Some porridge was too hot. Some porridge was too cold. Some was just right. And things with chairs. And I think things with beds as well. Giving an example of sometimes things are either too much or they're too little. And we want to help them be just right. So when I'm trying to describe to other people what it's like for me to have sensory challenges, sensory overload, being dysregulated, that kind of thing, I tell them that it's like my senses are like a radio dial that's turned up on high. Everybody else is listening to the music on level three and I'm listening on level eight. And I have to figure out a way to sometimes dial down my senses. For a kid, that might be going into your bathroom and looking at the faucets and saying you've got a hot faucet. And if you just turn on the hot water, it might be too hot. Now you turn on the cold water. If you just turn that on and you're going to take a bath or you're going to take a shower, that might be too cold. But when we mix them and we play around with it, we can get warm. We can get a temperature that's just right for us. We need to find different types of things and supports to help our body feel better when we're overwhelmed. For example, when we're hungry, it makes sense to eat food. If we're cold at night, it makes sense to put on a blanket. If we're feeling overwhelmed, we may want to cuddle with a blanket, and that's okay. It's just a solution to a challenge that we might be having at that time. So what about social communication struggles? With social communication, that is a challenge that everybody on the spectrum has. And when you're younger, it can feel like you're on a different planet or everybody else is speaking some sort of different language. It's like being a Mac in a PC world or being an Android in an iPhone world. We may not understand how something works and how to translate ourselves into the neurotypical non-autistic world, but we may need an app to help translate for us, some sort of accommodation to help us with our language and our learning. Sometimes it just needs to be additional vocabulary that we have to understand something or concrete examples. Just remember, you don't need to tell your child everything to start. We talked a little bit about relatable examples to explain different challenges and differences, but I don't want you to have to worry that you have to come up with these complex metaphors or analogies or examples. These might just be things that come to your head that are relatable to you, relatable to your child. In the beginning, especially the younger your child is, they may not need to have a whole lot of information. They just need to have a whole lot of love and a positive attitude from you, letting them know you have something you want to talk about with them, something that's interesting about themselves that you're going to be exploring together in life, and giving them an opportunity to be able to come to you in the future if they have any questions. Because disclosure is not just a one conversation, a two conversation thing. If you set things up in a positive way where kids can come to you and feel safe and trusting in doing so, you'll be having different conversations many times over the next 10, 15, 20 plus years. And that's okay. 
If there's key points that you want to share, it's okay to write those down. But remember, your kid loves you and it's okay if mom or dad is making a mistake because everybody makes mistakes. And actually, it's sometimes good that we can show our kids that we make mistakes, but then we work through them and we grow from them. There's always opportunities for kids to come to you and ask for more information. In fact, there's books, there's videos, they can talk with other people. Depending upon your child, you may want to just give them an opportunity to ask if they would like to have more information because sometimes it might be a no. They may need time and a quiet space to be able to process things depending on how old they are when you tell them. As long as you're doing it in a way that's not having them feel bad about themselves, if it's more of a discovery, then they can ask any question of you at any time that they want. For children who are knowledge seekers, very curious about different things, they may have a keen interest in learning whatever they can about their diagnosis. And for those whose reading ability is good, there may be books that can help. And we can put a couple different suggestions in the show notes. When our oldest child was diagnosed, back then Asperger's syndrome was still part of the autism spectrum umbrella. There was a book by Kathy Hoopman called All Cats Have Asperger's. And that was an amazing book to just show, since cats are oftentimes like our children in some ways, check that book out. It was a way for our child to be able to relate to some of the things that they were going through. There's also a lot of books out there that are written by teens, middle school students, high school students, young adults on the spectrum, older adults that might be empowering to your child to be able to read as well or to see in video or to hear in audiobook, that kind of thing. That's an incredible amount of information so far. I know you have a little bit more to share. What else would you like to share? I wanted to say that for some kids, it can be really valuable for them to know they're not alone. Just as you as a parent did not want to feel alone, you don't want to feel isolated. You want to be part of a community and know that other people get you. It can be really powerful for that to happen for your child as well. Sometimes kids can find real value if they have an interest in a particular subject or field. It can be really exciting and empowering for them to see other autistic people who've been successful in a particular area. Now, there are an awful lot of people that are on the spectrum that are in performing arts. There are a lot of successful people on the autism spectrum that are actors, artists, comedians, musicians, and writers. The arts is filled with people on the spectrum. There's also athletes, particularly in individual sports. If your child is into technology, well, certainly you can find some scientists and other people in the technology fields. That might just be something if they're looking toward a certain career or they have a really special passion in a certain field, finding somebody else on the spectrum who is in that field. They don't have to be a celebrity, but they could be a leader in that particular field, letting them know about that. It gives them somebody to think about as a role model, to dream about, that kind of thing. It can also be very beneficial for many kids on the spectrum to know that they're not alone by meeting peers that are on the spectrum too. Many families find that having their children meet other children on the spectrum or other teens on the spectrum can be very valuable. This is something that Autism Empowerment in the past as an organization has helped to facilitate in our community through tween and teen social nights, through our Autism Serves Kids Care Club, through different types of community events. 
with COVID, a lot of this stuff may not be happening now, but there is potentially an opportunity as things begin to open up more for you to find an autism organization or some sort of organization in your local area that gives a chance for kids that are neurodiverse to be able to connect. Of course, there's a lot of value to having friends that are not on the spectrum as well, but it's important for people to have an opportunity to connect with people that might be able to relate to some of the things they're going through. This might be online, depending upon their age. It might be through the games that they like to play, like Minecraft. If they're old enough, there's Discord groups. There's also a service out there called Friendometry. We recently did an article about them in Spectrum Life magazine. They're like a matchmaking service for kids, except it's with friends, it's not romance. They even offered anybody who was a Spectrum Life magazine reader to get one year free of their service. That would be with code Spectrum Life. We'll go ahead and put that in the show notes as well. That's an opportunity for potentially making some friends or meeting others on the spectrum. Thank you so much for that. So when it comes to disclosure, who should be part of this conversation or this talk? In most situations, I would recommend that it be a parent and the child or both parents and the child together if that's possible. I wouldn't recommend that other siblings be around at that point in time. This is something that is a special private moment to be able to share. If parents can be there to do that, then that's great because you're going to be the person that your child really trusts and you're sharing information that is crucial for their well-being. That kind of relationship, being there to support them with questions and things like that is a really powerful way for you to continue your bonding. However, in some families and in some cultures, that might be a lot more difficult. And we recognize that not all families are the same and not all situations are the same. And in some cases and in some cultures, some people prefer having a professional involved, at least in the beginning stages of the disclosure. That can leave the role of support and comfort to the family and those that are closest to the child. So if you are doing something like that, finding a professional whose role is clearly to discuss the information about the diagnosis and how autism or how disability is affecting their life can sometimes make it easier for family members to be seen by the child as supportive. Sometimes with some children, it could be especially hard to seek comfort from someone who gives you news that you might find to be troubling and confusing. So that is a real personal decision that you're going to need to make. But again, remember, explaining an autism spectrum diagnosis to a child or to a teen or to an adult, it's not something that is really done in one or two encounters because there's so much there. Your child needs time to be able to process the information about themselves at their own pace. So it's an ongoing thing. The key is to Try to make the information meaningful from the child's point of view, to be showing love and compassion, and to be partnering with your child together to help them achieve their best life. Doing it in those types of ways greatly enhances the learning process. You want to be authentic. You don't want to be posing. You don't want to be coming at it from a perspective like, This is really sad news. I'm really sorry for you. I'm breaking this news because then they're going to sense that this is something that's wrong rather than this is just something that's different. It's not less. It's not more. Just different. It's different. 
So again, that positive focus that you have will help your child maintain positive self-esteem. Then that can also foster an effective atmosphere for learning. So I have one more question before we wrap this up. I know in our next show, we're going to talk about telling others. Do you have anything to say about that or as a teaser? Yeah. So once you disclose the diagnosis to your child, and sometimes even before they know, you're in a position where you need to be able to tell others. We're not going to be covering that in this podcast because this one's already pretty long, but we're going to be giving you some strategies for talking to extended family, particularly family members that may not be as receptive to these types of things. We're going to be talking about whether you want to be able to disclose the diagnosis in a child's school environment, perhaps to their classroom. We're going to be talking about when it's appropriate to be able to tell people and when you might be able to use language that doesn't say diagnosis, but explains differences and how people can support your child. So we're going to be talking about that in our upcoming show. Wow. What another great show. And thank you so much, Karen, for going over all of this information. Can I say something else? For adults out there who might be listening, adults on the spectrum, who might be wondering when they should be disclosing, because some of you who are disclosing to your kids may also be learning about your own diagnosis as well, we're going to do a whole show on disclosure for adults. If you should tell, who you should tell, when you should tell, why, how, there's a whole number of complex things that are involved when it comes to adults, but we have got you covered too. So we have two great shows coming up on top of this amazing show that we just did. So thank you, Karen, for going over all of this today. I'm now going to turn this back over to you to close us out, but I first want to thank all of our listeners for being out there and subscribing and being such great listeners. Yes, thank you so much. And we invite you to check out a number of our different shows in this series as well. I want to say before we go, John, thank you. You're welcome. I am always appreciative of your ability to rein me in because I could be talking for hours, (laughs) and I do. But information is powerful. And you have a lot of information, so I'm happy for you to talk. (laughs) But information is powerful. Information helps empower. We want to empower our children. We want to be able to support their independence. We want them to learn new skills by giving them information that can help them understand themselves better. It will allow them more choice. We provide children information about heritage a lot of times. We provide children information sometimes about their culture and family traditions, where they're from. So it makes sense also to talk about where they're from neurologically, how their brain works. When you do, it makes it easier to face things in the future as they come up as a trusted parent, as a partner, as someone who loves them, they know that they've got support and people that will be there for them. You are that person for them. I know that this is something that's important to you or you would not have stayed until the end of this show. I'm rooting for you and let us know how it goes. We appreciate you hanging out with us and thank you for your time. You've been listening to the Autism Empowerment Podcast. If you'd like to get connected with our community, as well as all the great support and content we have planned for the future, please hit the subscribe button and visit www.autismempowermentpodcast.org for show notes, transcripts, 
social media details, Spectrum Life magazine, and more. We provide these shows for informational and inspirational purposes. However, they're not meant to substitute for medical, legal, or professional advice. As a 501c3 nonprofit charity, we rely upon support from listeners like you to produce our podcast and other programs. We appreciate you leaving a positive review and considering a tax-deductible donation today. Thank you again.